We're Arctic Monkeys. This is Don't Believe the Hype. That rock and roll, eh? Ladies! That sound means it's the end of the game. Time for the bonus question. Cheers, dude. That man just yawned. We're going to call it that. Don't Believe the Hype. Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 3 of Don't Believe the Hype, the weekly show that picks a track from the discography of Arctic Monkeys and talks about it in the minutest of detail. I mean, like, nerdy levels of eye-watering detail. That's how deep we go. With me, Nick Lee, and joining me as always, the horizon tries, but it's just not as kind on the eyes as Dan Hall. Hello, Dan. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, I can't, can't smile wide enough, mate. It's just, why, why is that? Because we're very close to coming seeing them now. It's 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 yeah. This is the eleventh of May. Down the days wise, now. So I realised when I was listening back doing some editing that um, I kept saying on the Brian Storm podcast that we were two days away from seeing them on that release well, date. Well, that, that would be the case, but I did say it on the Teddy Pick one as well, so people will be like, "This is all bullshit." When are they? But now, now Just assume uh, that whatever's we're, happening, we're two days well, away from seeing them. Well, no, when this goes out, we'll have seen them. We will have seen them. This will be yeah. the Wednesday after. This will be um, going out on the um, whatever that date is. Well, it'll be going out a week Even for June, something like that. Well, for the subscribers, well, for the subscribers, they'll be listening to this just before we see them as well. So subscribers have seen them and back on the set list because they're, they're time, time traveling. traveling. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, do we offer that as part of the? Um, that's Patreon, that's yeah. how it works. That's, that's, that's literally getting stuff that everyone else. Has to we're actually giving yeah, that's yeah. the definition of time travel. We're actually giving them um access to our monkeys gigs in the future with our Patreon yeah. subscription. And if you don't think that's worth fiver, then I don't know what to tell you. Not worth it, yeah. If you want to subscribe, check it out in the episode description along with all our other links to like, rate, review, subscribe across all platforms and our social media. That would be great. Thank you. But episode three, we're at it. We're well and truly at it now. What are we chatting about tonight, Dan? We are chatting about a um, a bog standard album track, isn't it? Really, this one "D is for Dangerous." I'm um, not sure. It's we've had two all time classics, Arctic Monkeys tracks, to open this album with, and now this is. I don't know. I'd have always considered it a pretty good one in the on the album in terms of you know, but not as good as many of the others. I don't know in terms of its. Place in the fandom. It's not like anyone's ever like. I wish they played Ease for Dangerous" on this tour. <laughs> so, so what would you what would you um, put it with from the first album? Then would you say this is the uh, mm, you probably couldn't a, see for the lights? I feel like it's above. You probably couldn't see for the lights. Okay. What, what's? I think it's slightly above that. It's more like I mean, from the figures and the fandom point of view and stuff like that. Like, still take you home was a surprisingly not listen to song mm. even though we would regard it as a big one so this might fall near there but no i think it's slightly above <laughs> is it like you probably i don't know is it what, what else what have we got on there uh is it like a riot van is it like a okay. you know what it might be a bit, a bit like a... high for you though for me personally yeah but i'm putting myself in the, the shoes of the whole fandom not not just my particular you. thanks not just my particular belief um uh, yeah, I would say it's it's more like a um, ooh, what's after uh, fake tales on that album? Dancing shoes. 
Yeah, it's like a dancing shoes, mate. No, it's, it's not that good, shoes. is it? No, yeah, no, it is. No, it's not a dancing. It's not as good, is it? Yeah, maybe it is. Are you probably <laughs> actually circling back? That just seemed I... like a bit of an insult. That's all. But I don't know. Was, <laughs> I don't know why. Went round a circle that didn't need going round. Really. <laughs> maybe it's like a vampire's well respected, but ultimately not necessary in the set's life. Okay. Well, let's have, let's. Yeah. I don't want me to find out. Let's have a listen and then talk about it. That seems fair enough, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. You just yeah. made me think, yeah. though, that um, isn't it weird that when the sun goes down, never comes back. When a lot of people would consider that an all-time great, but they never bring it back, do they? Like they do, like with dance floor and stuff. No, interesting no, that. True. Interesting yeah. that, that they don't well, they we... don't care for it anymore. Obviously, we've just jinxed it. It'll be coming back now. Now, <laughs> <That'll be it. laughs> instead of all the ones we wanted, like suck it and see being back and and cornerstone, it'll be <laughs> when the sun goes down. Yeah. Well, I've got a feeling Cornerstone's going to be gone again when we go, but we'll, we'll see. We'll be, able to, we'll be able to report back anyway because people people get a special podcast of us just getting fucked throughout the day and hopefully enjoying the gig. Can't say fairer yeah. than that. Hopefully they're remembering it. We need to film it just to remember it. This is true. This is true. Right, let's have a listen to Deers for Dangerous and then we'll crack on. Live at the Apollo again. Live at the Apollo, You clipped it up differently there. We were still like in the background. I don't know why it did that. I'll be be honest with you. I realised that. Because I didn't take my pants off like normal. Oh, you didn't? I I assumed you were behind there. Well, maybe. You'll never know. It could be. Um, Yeah, I feel like because you asked me to say what it equates to on the first album, it made me sound quite negative about the song, but I I actually quite like the song. What it is, I've got nothing against. I, mean, I don't it. think it's negative to say it's an album track because it is by definition an album track. No, no, but I don't know if it was like I, I don't know. I don't want it 
it's just not we've just covered Brian Storm with Teddy Picker. That's why I might seem like a kind I, of I, step. I think step if you were to ask me for my favorite album tracks off this album, I'd be saying Do Me a Favor, 505, if you were there, beware. You know what I mean? There the... Um I'd uh, <laughs> I'd probably go um Oh, the album tracks. Well, there's a non-single tracks. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. D- These Were Dangerous wouldn't be in my top. Um, oh. Anywhere near my top, unfortunately. But, yeah. Again, sec- second half, bangers. Again, second half of the album, bangers. This is it. There's always that... Um, the first album's kind of... First side's always the kind of... The more commercially side, would you say? Is that fair yeah. to say? I suppose. Yeah, the, the sellable side. Um, apart from, obviously, some exceptions. But... But then, yeah, the, the, the B-sides are always, uh, of the, the vinyls are always the more uh, juicier, the more meat on the bones, perhaps. And none more so ever than in this, save a couple, uh, than in this album. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, but we have just covered two big hits. And that's probably yeah. why this one feels a little bit uh, a little bit different than the first two. A little bit, yeah. It just it just feel different, yeah. Let's get, well, it'll feel even more different when we get to the all new information action ratio as well. I'm still calling it all new. With three weeks into it, we said five. We said by we said by first adolescent was when you had to stop saying it after that's that. Fair, so. fair enough, then, isn't that's it? Fine. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's hit it, Alex. Give give me an all new information action ratio, please, Alex. Yeah, of course I will, Nick. Because just respect you. The information action ratio. I don't know how when I'm going to get over the go, though. I don't know if that's going to happen in five episodes. Never. I don't, I don't never, get never getting over that. Uh, and then, when you did Alex, then you didn't um, try and attempt to do his, his voice, which was nice. I thought you were about to. <laughs> I'll save that for karaoke. <laughs> um, D is for Dangerous was released on the 23rd of April 2007. Oh, karaoke on Saturday, wouldn't they? Uh, why'd it have to, why'd it have to be on the same day that we had the vet appointment? Bloody hell. Um, uh, anyway. Oh, I don't know, actually, because their they're ne- they're next door neighbours are back now. When, when we used to do karaoke before Christmas, the next door neighbours were away because the house had been done up. But I'd, yeah, so maybe. Harder not. now. Quiet, quiet karaoke. Uh, silent disco karaoke. Oh, it's so Everyone's got their headphones now. in. <laughs> not a sexual day. <laughs> D is for Dangerous was released on the 23rd of April 2007 on Favourite Worst Nightmare. It is 2 minutes and 18 seconds long and has 67.3 million streams on Spotify, which is a significant drop from last week, which perhaps suggests that what we were saying was true about it. It is 145 beats per minute and is in the key of C sharp. Wrong key, though. Other key tracks in C sharp are Universal Irritants U2, with I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. A song guaranteed to be being poorly performed on karaoke by a bald, middle-aged white man from Stoke in a Spanish bar, Red Red Wine by UB40, and a band who announced their retirement to the world this week, and the world said, wait, you were still together? It's some 41 with some say. Very much reacted to that news in the same way um, as Hate from Steps coming out, which was, oh, that not already happened. <laughs> right, <okay. laughs> It has been played live 79 times, firstly on February 10th, 2007 at the Leadmill Sheffield, and lastly on December 17th, 2007, so I didn't even see the year out, December 17th, 2007 at the Carling Apollo Manchester. Yeah, back when it was the Carling. That's that one, isn't it? 
It is, yeah. Um, produced again by Dream Team, Mike... No, what? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it is, yeah. Sorry, that was the last one, yeah. I do apologize. Uh, I was thinking of the Academy for some reason in my head, and I was like, what? Ooh, um, 13 times. <laughs> it was. It oh, could have been 14. I wish it had 14 it been. that one. Could, no, no, sorry. This is the 13th. I've done 12. It could have been 13 already if we'd gone to the bloody Apollo. Um, produced again by Dream Team, Mike Crossy and James Ford. And I thought we'd dig into a little bit about uh, the man himself, Mike Crossy. Uh, born in 1979, he is a Northern Irish record producer, songwriter and mixing engineer. He produced the debut single, I Bet You Look on the Dance Floor, and has collaborated with Arctic Monkeys over two albums. He is known for his ongoing relationship with the 1975 in addition to productions with Jeremy Zucker, 21 Pilots, What the Moon, Laney, Lauv, Foles, Keane, Jake Bug, The Gaslight Anthem, Moona, and Wolf Alice, and Youngblood. Crossy started his career as a promoter of punk shows in Belfast before moving to Liverpool to complete his training at Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts. He remained in Liverpool, operating out of the Motor Museum until 2012. During that period he produced some of the most critically acclaimed British Indiacs. After seeing the Arctic Monkeys perform, he invited them to the studio and cut the band's first EP, Five Minutes with Arctic Monkeys. Uh, if you recall, he also did the original demos for the first album with James Ford um, in Liverpool, but a lot of it was unusual, uh, sorry, unusual, unusable, and they had to get old Jim Abyss in to sort the bloody thing out. He has since produced and mixed albums by Nothing But Phoebes, Foles, Keen, Jake Bug, Tribes, Blood Red Shoes, The Enemy, The Kooks, and Razorlight. After studying the sonic nature of BBC Radio 1's transmissions, frequency, and compression, Mike has developed a solid reputation of creating separate radio mixes specifically suited for the channel. He has done so for acts such as the Black Keys, friend of the band. Uh, then moving to London in 2012, he embarked on an ambitious year. He mixed the acclaimed Ben Howard album, Every Kingdom, and two-door cinema club sophomore Beacon. Working with a young Nottingham songwriter, Jake Bug, turns out he wasn't a fucking songwriter, was he? Uh, working with a Nottingham, young Nottingham songwriter, Jake Bug, Crossy produced and mixed the singer's eponymous debut album, Jake Bug, which was certified platinum in the UK. The album was a commercial and critical success, receiving a 9 out of 10 in Enemy and an 8 point one out of hundred on Metacritic is a very good album, that first Jake Bug album to be fair. Yes. He produced Manchester Act, the nineteen seventy five self titled debut album. Manchester band. Isn't it like it's like what the place on the way to like Macclesfield is where they they live, isn't yeah. it? Like, Wilms, it? There's, there's enough Wilms, shit Manchester yeah. bands without adding another one to the list. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Wilmslow isn't Manchester band, is it? It's not the real Manchester. Um, the American band, the Gaslight Anthem's fifth album, Get Hurt, a band that I like a little bit. And the track, The Judge, of, of 21 Pilots. <laughs> that was very Partridge. This is a good band. Uh, and the track, The Judge, off of 21 Pilots' fourth studio album, Blurry Face. Crossy also produced Wolf, the Wolf Alice album My Love Is Cool in 2015, which received a 9 out of 10 score from NME. He produced songs for Youngblood, The Killers, Jeremy Zucker, Half Alive, and Jake Wesley Rogers. His mixed CV expanded to include albums by uh, Beer Badubi, The Wombats, Bad Sons, and others. And in 2022, he completed production and mixing of Noah Cyrus's debut solo album. Additionally, he handled the production of two tracks on Louis Tomlinson's second studio album. But we won't talk much about that. Shall we have a little clip of uh, Alex and the guys talking about Mike Crossy and uh, and Jim Abyss? Everything's done now. A lot of mastering engineers tend to get it looking right, right, sound right. Is that right? Yeah, they don't listen. They can see what's right. Yeah. The dials. 
They've done it for years, these guys. James Ford and Mike Crosser. We started doing first record with them, but um, we didn't finish. We ended up doing it with someone else in the end. Like, but um, it always felt like they were a bit of unfinished business for them. We knew James Ford before he were cool. <laughs> yeah. Didn't we? No. We, we always had got on with them well and that, so we thought that we'd try it again with them and it sort of worked out. I think that's because, like I was saying before, with the first record, everything was so sort of like nailed on and we knew how songs went and that. And, whereas this, it was more kind of a bit more of a blank <coughs> canvas, I suppose. So we, um, yeah, so we all sort of like worked it out together and that, and it were a good, like, I don't know, like a good team, team I suppose, if you want to say team. Now, I think that was the day they were enemy doing something. Doing something. What do you? I think what it was the day of the enemy shoot because, or, or because they. I mean, they're definitely doing a photo shoot because that's the outfit they're wearing on the poster on the boat, which I had in my bedroom. They're all wearing those outfits. Um, but I well, think... nearly. Helders has got a different jacket on, and Jamie has a different scarf. But other than that, it's pretty much spot on, isn't it? Uh, and and all, but I'm pretty sure that's what they're wearing in the enemy magazine at the time as well. So I think that video originally was one of those ones enemy used to do while they did the interview with them. Um, oh, have a look, I've got every enemy magazine somewhere in a bin bag, so we've had monkeys on. So, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, they uh, I feel pretty sure that was that day. I like at the start of that that it's clearly he's taking the piss out of Matt, like, what, what, no, important is the mixing engineers to the uh. Process in the Matthew. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the full the full clip of that is uh, excellent. Actually, um, if you type in, um, I actually just typed in Mike Crossy out of monkeys into YouTube to see what came up for that. So if you type that in, you'll get the video up and uh, fill your boots. It's a cool little interview. Weird. Quite f very funny. Uh, should we do some reviews of this song? I love that Hell is his drumming um, sort of changes when he does the tranquility based stuff to the point where he's um, he kind of does his head shaking to the side while he plays. Like, that's his thing with that. He does that with that stuff, yeah. which which be fair for people say about those songs, but the drums there look pretty technical to me, what he's doing. But anyway, um, Enemy called this track a strokesy funk rollock. And Uncut said, what comes across even clearer on Nightmare than the debut is the sheer groove power of this band, the life swagger of Teddy Picker, the swinging hi-hats and low-rider bass of Deers for Dangerous, which goes back to the funk outfit Judan Suki that Turner and drummer Matt Held has operated in parallel with the fledgling Artics, of course, with the Reverend John Misty. Um... <laughs> <laughs> the fans of the show, no, uh, the Reverend John McClure. Um, they were in a Helders and, and Alex were in a, a band with him, Judan Suki. Which I think, if you listen to this clip from them, you'll kind of see what they mean by relating these for dangerous to yeah. to this. I think absolutely will. Like what 
Yeah, that was the song that sounded the most like relatable, and I love that. Was a fan video that someone made. So for people listening, you can't see that someone's basically made a music video on like a computer game, I assume. Uh, two thousand and three. For it, yeah, yeah, quite impressive actually. I'll say that actually, it's very much what I would call a low budget version of the Californication video. That's how I would describe that for people that can't see it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <pretty much>. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that does sound that kind of you know, it's the kind of funky, groovy bass with the sort of company drums. Um, yeah, that's very similar. Um, IGN also did a review of this track saying that it has chicken scratch guitars and a rough hewn sense of angst and unrest permeate Days for Dangerous, a wild and woolly spelling lesson for the jaded and dejected. And back to Enemy again, but this time for the greatest song list where they place Days for Dangerous at. Number 55, saying an agile call-and-response vocal trade between Turner and Helders slams head-on into this straight-up indie banger. Boosted by snapping percussion and a zigzagging bass line, it's deceptively raunchy, and the band embraced the intensity of it all with a plum. But um, quite high, that, isn't it, 55? For yeah, it is. I'm surprised at that. Maybe, I don't know. Actually, I'm trying to think. No, this list does have... Tranquility in it, I think. I don't know if it was pre-car, but it has um, tranquility in it, I'm pretty sure. So maybe that's... But still quite um, high. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I'd say for, for what it is. Um, but yeah, what do you think? So what do you... You haven't said really what you think of this track. We're very much still in first album territory, musically. Mm. I think yes, a little bit heavier. But of, of the... Yeah, as we discussed before, it's... It's not one of the album tracks I'd pick out to play, but that's just because of some of the strong album tracks that we've got in the second half. But yes, yeah, yes, yeah, a good little tune. No, I've, I very much enjoyed so like looking looking around for a live version of it because obviously there wasn't wasn't too much, but but it's just one of those songs that is what it is as well. There's no no messing about with it. When they performed it live, it's been just the same same as this. It's not stuck around long enough to evolve or anything. It's very much a product of its time. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I can I'll just just confirm by the way that the enemy greatest list that we use is pre the car, but it's up to tranquility. So it's just, right. it just hasn't got the current ten, new ten tracks in it, but it has got all the B sides and tracks up to that point in time. Um, yeah, no, I would agree. I think sort of um, yeah, it's like very funky, like we said. Uh, the funk might fracture your nose, as held as drum kit would suggest. Um, very much a Nick and Matt driven song, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like it's that kind of their song, really. There's not much. Like maybe, actually, have they probably not? I said vampires before, but they've probably not been this funky since vampires, right? Or Chunli, vampires Chunli. Yes, which uh, actually, Chun, yeah. in hindsight, Chun Chunli is very Juden Judan Suki esque, actually, isn't it? I think about it, yeah, it's got that kind of vibe to it. But yeah, they ha- certainly haven't, because like, it's, it, Teddy Picker, as we said last week, was kind of hip-hoppy and stuff like that, but not as funky as this. This is this is proper funk um, sound, which which I think, yeah, because um, I think the bass, the bass line's pretty much, in particular, is, is the actual driving factor of, of the song. I mean, it is a great bass line. Whatever people think of this song, it is a pretty good um, bass line, isn't it?
<laughs> Nick Nick's setting his stall out nice and early. Yeah, yeah he already did a pretty epic um, Brian Storm bass song, and then Teddy Picker, good bass line for some, amazing bass line apparently. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, as we found last week, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but uh, oh, two reviews it was. But um, I listened to it again this week. Were we wrong about that? But I was like, no, it's just the bass in the second yeah. verse for the first. No, half. it's a kid's Definitely little... opening with the yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, this one in particular is like his kind of tune. I imagine he must have brought the bass line to the table first for this because well, I don't know what else was inside the song. Um, that because because I think I'm pretty, pretty sure as well. It's the same bass line the whole way through the song though. It doesn't change, does it? Even in the breakdown, it's still yeah. Everything else moves around it, but it stays the same. Um, yeah, m- m- <laughs> much like what it feels like to be in your thirties. <laughs> Everything else moves around <laughs> you, but you stay exactly the same. Uh, <laughs> Some, sometimes I feel like that. You know, that Spice Girls video at Two Become One, where where they're just in the streets and everything's like. Yeah. Full speed. That's, that's how I feel sometimes. Yeah, very popular style of music video that back then, wasn't it? There's another one where there's just loads of cars. Was it Ronnie Keaton or someone like that? Or someone else singing yeah. in it? So, yeah. Um, very popular that back in the day. Ronan Keaton uh, singing like he's got bread in his mouth, as he as he always does. You're when you've got <laughs> bread in your mouth. <laughs> Is that very my my old pal, my old mucker Ronan Keaton? Me and him <laughs> shared space on a song, don't we? Have I told that story? I nah, think so, no. Oh, um Ronan Keaton uh, famously in the Hot Household, Ronan Keaton came to my primary school to record a song for a New Year's Eve show, and they had us as a choir singing alongside him. But well done. But they must have seen me for some reason. They went, "Oh, film him doing it." And then when we watched the live broadcast, Mum's got it on tape somewhere. We watched the live broadcast on New Year's Eve. There's a bit where Ronan Keaton's singing, and in the middle of him singing, his face fades into my face. <laughs> oh, what what a day! Oh my word! How have you never told me this before? I know. I need to find it. Um, so yeah, it's it's me singing in the choir. Me and Ronan doing a duet. It looks like. If you watch it like the way they edited it, fucking, fucking yeah. ebony and ivory over it. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, we were in perfect harmony actually. Um, but yeah, it was it was uh, yeah. So me and Ronan Keaton have that at least, you know, if nothing else. Yeah, you um, yeah. And and <laughs> I, I've I mean I've got a connection with Ronan Keaton as well because I've I've watched at least two episodes of the One Show that he's hosted. So between us, we're well, I have a second Ronan. connection because my yeah. My cousin gigs around Manchester in a band doing covers and stuff like that. That's like his job. And he um he he got he had a meeting with Boyzone about going on, I'm not sure what happened actually. I never asked him to meet with Boyzone about going on guitar with on tour with them as a guitarist <laughs> for a reunion oh. tour. I'm not sure really what happened there. But yeah, I should find out actually. Um or like he did do a couple of, he did he did do a gig a with them. Union, is it? I know he did one gig with them, but yeah. Uh well moving on. <laughs> Moving on. I feel like he's come up. He came up last week as well. I think, no, he yeah, came yeah. up on the uh, Matt Helder's birthday podcast, but I edited out. Uh... <laughs> he, he, he came up. He came up and then never came down. That's what it said on the pathologist certificate. I love not only the hip poppiness of the drums, but that kind of like um, crisp sound they have again. I am loving the production sound of the drums on this album so far. Actually, when you listen to it, and like like I said but last James week. Just walked mm. in and gone right. Well, this is the first thing to go up. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
in that interview, he said, didn't he, Alex, then about how they focus a lot on the drums and, and mm. different um, drum sequences and all and that. And I know Helders has said that before. So, but, but like, yeah, the actual sound of them was like just like the start of Teddy Picker sound on this carries into this. And. I've always, you know what, back in the day when, though, I always saw. Do you know when you have two songs, and there's another example of Artie Monkeys doing this, that sound like you wrote them very close to each other and they kind of sound similar in a way? Oh, do I want to know and are you mine? Perhaps you could throw into that mm. into that cauldron. Um, and they sound quite like they were born in the same world or the same like and i always used to pair teddy picker and deeds for dangerous together on the album as like i mean i used to pair maybe throw balaclava in there i would think of them as a, a triple showing of similar vibe because then the album changes like brian storm's different then it's those three then it's like the melodic bit and then it's like the sort of beefier bit and then it's back to a poppy sound and then it's the big end, big finish. But um, yeah, yeah I, yeah, I always felt like these these three go together. I think it was a bit like that actually. It was dancing shoes, still take you home, and you probably actually that we all felt of the same vein, let's say. And I think I kind of placed these dangerous Teddy Picker and Balaclava in that same world as well. With Teddy Picker as a standout, obviously, of the three. Although I think technically musically there's a lot to say about balaclava as we'll discover next week but um but yeah this one is just feels like it's in between the two of them a little bit that you think like it's that what i would call the 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 drum and bass section of this album where i mean the drums are all over everywhere obviously but just as a pairing the teddy picker uh deeds for dangerous particularly and balaclava particularly feel like they're very nick and helders driven songs was anyone else no i said it because because Andy's left, but they've just they've just not skipped a beat at all, and like we're, we're already seeing the start of that hell. Never skip a beat, because... skip a beat, never skip oh. a beat. Skip that that a song beat. has my the, the worst lyric I've ever heard in my life, and I bet you. Well, know I've told you that I, I've said I always say this. This is something I've been telling people at parties for years that the worst lyric ever written is in this Kaiser Chief song when he says, "What do you want for tea? I want crisps. I want crisps. Yes, <laughs> I have also been telling people that part. <laughs> well. It's a shame we weren't boring people. Up. We could have been boring each other. Well, we, could, we wouldn't have been boring each other by telling each other that, at least at parties. So, yeah. <laughs> We've been boring other people with it for years. I remember my sort of, there was a point where I was so famed for being obsessed with Arctic Monkeys. I was like that guy that one time I was at a house party and there was a guy there that I knew who was in a band himself and he, he knew what I was like. So we were drunk and he, he sat down on a stair and he went, Dan, sit down and tell me about some Arctic Monkey songs. <laughs> I love it when people he'd lo- do that. <laughs> he'd love listening to my interpretation of the lyrics because he was a big fan mm. as well. So, yeah. And here I am now. Here I am. Signed, sealed, delivered. No, I was thinking actually of a Tom O'Dell song that I like called Here I Am, which Why? is on. I like Tom O'Dell, <laughs> famously. Yeah, yeah. I really like it. One particular album I really like. Um can't remember what it's called now, but uh, yeah, it's. I think it's called Here I Am. Actually, it's. Uh, we should it's, do a podcast about Tom O'Dell. Maybe I will. Um, <laughs> get get him on, get him on, and ask if he's married to Adele. What with them having the same name? What Odell and Adele? Tom O'Dell, yeah. True. True. <laughs> I don't. I don't think they are. 
I'm still annoyed that we never referenced um, you being called Nick Lee's spinning bird kick when we had the opportunity, to be honest. I was thinking about that the other day. Perfect opportunity to make a joke about you being called Nick Lee's spinning bird kick and we didn't bird kick, bird kick, and we didn't take it. Shame that, isn't it? Shame it is a shame that. Because we can't really do I don't think we can do that with my name on any... Is there, there's not one that sounds like Holt, is there? In the, there's not, is there? No. I've checked, I've checked. Believe me, I've fucking checked, mate. That's a shame. Um, Disappointingly short. <laughs> but um you know what i was listening did you listen to the the um instrumental only version of this um the, there's like a weird space-esque sound on the breaks in the instrumental version it's just this kind there of like, like sound which obviously yeah like it's something. It's weird i don't know what it's like some it's, i don't know it's a bit ziggy stardust to reference it again like i don't know it was a bit like space age bowie like slipped in there or something very randomly I'm i've never you can't hear that i tried to listen to it today you can't hear that on the normal track it's like yeah. um alex's singing covers it up i think like some of those things that you get when you don't which is actually good i actually used to really love when we get to it the flash adolescent demo you can hear a lot more of jamie's guitar what he's playing and it's very nice very nice indeed i think sometimes some of those be and probably for the best when songs are mixed because they should be in a certain way. But sometimes those lovely bits of guitar can get lost in the the mixing. I find the guitars in this just kind of like doing a job, aren't they? Like which is what yeah. we've said. Nothing complex. Is have you referenced it being first album before, didn't you? In its uh, simplistic approach is what I would say. And I, and last week when we said about the drums, do you like the drums in Brian Storm mirroring the guitar? So two weeks ago, this is um, mirroring the bass almost the guitar, isn't it? Because it's just going at ding 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 ding. Yeah, not not nothing really. I could say <laughs> exciting about the guitar in this. It's just just there to do a just, to, uh, to yeah. come in it, it, it and play it is Matt and Nick's song, this is, it is, it really is. It really is, and like, yeah, like you said before, it's because of Andy just going, it's mad that they instantly picked up this rapport, but I guess that's what led, one of the contributing factors that led to them deciding to get rid of old Andy was because they instantly had a connection with Nick, obviously, yeah. If, if they hadn't had that connection, they probably would have got him back. Have you? Yeah, same name, isn't it? It is the same name. And we and we both have heads. Same name, both heads. Both own a base. Both own a base, yeah. I'd say he owns more than one. James, and, and he, does and he can play it. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's the major yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah he's... Uh, but other than that, yeah, exactly the same. Um, but, yeah, it was... Um, again, we said you probably. The guitars are almost like a you probably. Blah, blah, blah. yeah. yeah. The sort of kind of similar dueling guitars, but doing slightly different things, like very simple. Yeah, very. It is very first album. This song, isn't it? It's a bit of a hangover, I think, isn't it? Like, but it it does sound very different. It's a different sound, but it just it's that. I think it's just that simplicity. I think that's on there. But it sounds close enough to the first album, but I I still don't think any newcomers would assume it was from the first album. No, you can tell in this space that the second album exists in. Yeah. 
you can tell, especially when you hear it after, it fits. There's nothing about it that doesn't fit as the first song. It makes complete sense as the song after Teddy Picker, like in many ways. But yeah, I think when you're breaking it down like we do on this, though, and you listen to it, that's when you notice that oh, it is very simple first album. Yeah, just with a different kind of, because they've got different effects, different instruments, different production values. It makes it sound very different. And obviously they've upped the game a little bit. That's it. With the first album, it does feel very much like a band playing in a room. And it's, obviously, it's all the better for it. That's one of the key components of its success. But at the same time, yeah, they feel like it feels like they've stepped up a level. Now, it yeah, feels this like feels like a, a, a bit more. A lot of this feels like a band playing in a room, but a better room. <laughs> and mm. then going in and layering it afterwards, like there's a bit more like going, oh, should we go in rather than just playing it live and going, oh, that sounds all right. Just go in like, oh yeah, should we add this there? Does that would this be better if the drums did something different here? Like, etc. Like, yeah, yeah, we've seen a lot more process. in terms of actual production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, which we see in they... the Teddy video as well. They're, they're overseeing the mixing and everything in the little and, and looking yeah. very serious whilst doing so. And not to say anything about Jim Abyss, but obviously they've used James Ford every time since in some way or another. So there's obviously a connection that they felt with, with him straight away as well. So um, I think obviously whatever happened with those demos, I think they were too fast. They, they were playing it as fast live. And I think because it was such a seminal, going to be such a big album, Domino like shit themselves. and like, we can't, we need to get someone in that's a, like a, a a legend of the industry, like an old hand to come in and, and make sure this is right. Because if we fuck this up, <laughs> it's going to be a disaster. Um, yeah. So I think I think they all learnt things from that, maybe, and then they've come back and and done a proper job here, proper proper job, and have continued to. Maybe that's it. Maybe he's developed as a producer as they've developed as a band, and it's all kind of. Because um, I can only, I'd love to. I'd I wish they'd done like a again. I'd love to see a a documentary about like. Um, the making of AM. I'd love to be in that room with when they were like making stuff sound like hip hoppy and you know trying all these different effects on it. And that. it must have been fascinating in this little in the studio in LA. Like, yeah, God, what a dream! Josh that's, that's the album in. I'd most. That's the album I'd most like a documentary of. I think that and Humbug. I think because Humbug, we kind of got a little mini documentary of the second C one that's out there. Um, but the Humbug, just to see what the fuck that was like <laughs> in some house in the ranch near Joshua Tree out in the desert in California with Josh Homme and all those guys. I mean, yeah, fascinating stuff. But uh, <laughs> like, it must have been mental. But yeah, I think AM as well would be. It's amazing. AM was so big. You would think, I don't know. It feels like people do that years later, like you know, like you get like Bowie documentaries and stuff now about it and, and stuff like that. Like people do it later on, but but then I don't know, is it, there will be footage because people are, there must have been footage from them recorded and stuff. They did one for tranquility, didn't they? They did, yeah. I think with AM they kind of I don't know, it was like one of those mind you, they did for they kept that very under wraps for very specific marketing reasons, I, I reckon, from Domino. But yeah, um, let's put the gigs out first before people hear this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, get, let's get the gigs sold out. Yeah, which they did, and it worked famously. Um, but but yeah, I, I don't have a lot to say on the guitars on this, to be honest. that They almost seem like they're just not as relevant in this song, which is probably the first time I would ever say that about an Arctic Monkey song. Because there's not even like a solo out, is there? There's not even like a moment where I go, oh, yeah, but that guitar bit was very good. They're literally just coming in and out for the choruses and the end playing the same as the, the bass. Very simple. Very simple. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, although, uh, you know what? I do love that. Um, I had a question about that. that um, uh, which is a lot like the Teddy Picker solo sound uh, and sound they'll use later in this album, actually. Um, although I did have a question about this, right? Because when I listen to the instrumental version, that uh, sounds like it's coming from a guitar going... And I do... And as I say, like that sounds like the Teddy Picker solo a bit. It sounds like stuff you'll hear on if you're there, beware, etc. But on the actual main track, I was always sure it was a backing vocal of someone of Helders going, ah. and it does sound like that when you listen to the proper track. But when you listen to it with the lyrics taken out, it just sounds like a guitar doing it. So I don't know if it's both. Is it they did that on the guitar and then they lay it in a backing vocal of someone doing it as well? Like, do you think it's always sounded like someone singing it, right? That uh, the instrumental have also removed the, the backing vocals. vocals. Because it's definitely is someone singing well, it so. on the main track, it, right? It's Alex, Matt, and Nick going. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All then, three of them are doing it on that that live version that I played at the top of the show. All right, yeah, Matt sure, yeah. So yeah, so I think that so I think that must have come from a guitar that Jamie's doing that sounded like that, and then they just laid in a backing vocal of it. But... Yeah, it sounds um, it sounds cool without them actually doing the back of vocal and just hearing it on the guitar though. Um, the, yeah, the bass again in the breakdown, just the same obviously, but it works really well in that in that way um, when it when it drops down to it on its own and and doing that. And again, we've said a lot so far about Helder's enhancing songs so far on this album. But with this being such a simple song, with a, a simple breakdown, the way he builds the cymbal tapping to bass drum building, which you'd expect that kind of cymbal tapping, then some bass drum doing it, coming back in. But then he just starts like throwing a tom or a snare in there or something. It's like, like out of nowhere as well. And it's so good. Like it makes that breakdown so much better than it has any right to be. It's essentially just the same bass riff, just building back in with Alex singing the same line, but that extra drum, I don't know, it just adds a lot to the actual, um, and again, very hip hop, very, very hip hop, very rap, that kind of sound. But uh, yeah, the, the way it builds back in though, did really remind me of Vampires. Because it does that kind of, you know, the end before it comes back to the ding, 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 and the drums, because the drums kind of do that thing that he does on this to get back in. Very similar in style of that, I think. The end of this song is very much what I would call a classic at the time end to a song by Arctic Monkeys. That kind of, you know, that kind of like doing that stubborn riff that just then leaves it hanging. They they do that a lot. 
And the whole thing again of you, you thinking the song's over and then it's not. Yeah. Although so, to, a, to a lesser extent than others, but still, yeah, it's, it's there again. Yeah, a lot. Of, there's a lot of breaks in this, a lot of stopping, and which I'm always impressed by from a timing point of view, particularly live, to be able to do that kind of stop and all come back in at the same time without fucking it up because, you know, that's a skill in itself, really, and they, they repeatedly do it in this song. They've gone from doing it here to the... I mean, you look at the start of Mirrorball and it's still doing it again. Still, Love it. still in that through line. Lovely song. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird because this song is so simple and almost... After what is like a maturer and beefier track, like Brian Storm, and then a more complex lyrical and poppy song like teddy picker i shouldn't like this really because it should feel like you've gone like oh that song was amazing and then oh teddy picker that's great and then you'd be like oh well it should feel like we're going backwards to to quote tame impaler um it should feel like that but it is because it is very immature musically and, and lyrically as we'll get to yeah and it is very first album-esque but the way he held as a Nick vibe in this, it's just too enjoyable for me to care or dislike it. Like, like normally I would go on a lot of albums, go, oh, I feel like they've, they've lost me. Yeah, this is a bit shit compared to the, <laughs> yeah. the opening ones. But it's just so much fun with what they do with it that I just don't care that it's just, you know, it's two minutes and whatever seconds. It's a, just a blast the whole way through. Um, and the lyrics are kind of interesting. So, yeah. It's again. I think Arctic Monkeys get away with that a lot, where what should feel like a lesser song because of having such good moments and lyrics and people like cool bass lines and and amazing drums, they save what could be a. I mean, that is what separated them from a lot of indie bands at the time, where you would go and that was a bit of a weak track. They just made the weak tracks better than anyone else did. Um, yeah, um, I heard a block party song before on TV. It was that one that do you, I was a love, do you, you was a fire, and I was a hell, he was a fire. It's a guitar going, do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, I know that one. Do you know that one? Oh, I love that Block Party first album. I think it's one of the, I think for me, hmm, I'm going to take the Libertines out of it because they're a bit before. But for me, apart from whatever people say I am, I think that first Block Party album might be one of the, might be the second best album of that whole era because okay. it was phenomenal yeah. musically. The drummer is the only other drummer that I would held, hold up that we held us at the time, certainly. Um, yeah, they were that first album was incredible. Like, well, yeah, the new one's quite good as well. I was very surprised. Yeah, they fell off the boil a bit with the third one, I think it was, but um, or the second one. I really like they did Flux in between, which was a great tune. Um, and then they, they started messing around with like vocal, like stuff to remember it was like yeah yeah, messing about with stuff but yeah they lost me a bit and then they disappeared forever but that first album yeah you want to talk about a band ditching guitars have a look at block party bloody hell yeah exactly that's why i think what was so disappointing was after that first album they just went so different um yeah at least that you know that yeah that's proper ditching the guitars isn't it that's a different sound fully ditching yeah fully ditching (laughs) <laughs> but yeah um i love that album but yeah if you haven't heard it go hear it i'm trying i'm struggling to remember what it was called but silent um, alarm 
Talent Alarm, yeah, I need to buy that on vinyl actually because that was uh, the drums. Oh, the drumming on that album. If you if you listen to this and you haven't heard Silent Alarm by Block Party and you love Helder's drumming, then that's probably the I would say that's the, the second best drumming album of the years between the years of 2000 to 2010 at least. And then my knowledge becomes less so after that. So <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> obviously Helder's wins the that. main one, but he's definitely yeah of the whole indie scene. He was the second best drummer, the Block Party one. Yes. Yeah, yeah and, it, and he, he would be the best if Mr. Matthew J. Helders III didn't exist. But well, yeah, he does, that, that, thankfully. <laughs> thank God. The agile it's beast. A lot. Um, <laughs> so should, should we move into the, the lyrics, or have you got anything else to say on the music at all? No, let's move into the lyrics. Actually, actually just before we do the lyrics, um, let's talk about the vocal performances, because this is the most of Mr. Helders we've gotten, I'd say, in any track so far. Um, you probably gets a bit in there, doesn't he? But he's definitely got a lot more here to do. This is his most vocal we've heard, right? This is this is his most biggest. Who the, who the fuck are Arctic Monkeys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's kind of less of a just performance because it's just this one really, line. Yeah. But um, so I would say as well. I said when I, I said that the Helders Nick stuff makes it too enjoyable to care about any issues you could have with it as a song but i think also that alex matt julian vocals is a big contributing factor in that because they're again just too fun to really and really well done for me to care about any any issues i would have with the song they're just they really amplify it um particularly love the combination during the breakdown That's very good. I like that as well. Yeah, they they do. Um, yeah, I just love the way that they go the back and forth on it. They have that, and you've got you because you'd always heard the odd line from Helders, but I mean, we had no idea obviously where Helders was going to go with his backing vocals in future albums. But this was the first like one where we got a proper taste of him singing. I think yeah, and it's uh, always um, impressive. We're now very much, very much into uh, Helders and O'Malley as backing vocalist territory. No more Mike for Jamie anymore. That, that Thankfully for gone. everyone. No, no, because he has a mic at live at the Apollo. It. They haven't taken it off him yet live. He's still got it live. Yeah, and it's really weird. Hear him. It, yeah, because he so comes over when you watch the whole thing. Don't got, sing, goes, Jamie. It's not good. <laughs> 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 to look at you, like, you have the voice of an angel. You sound like a trapped boy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's all. It is all. <laughs> it is. It is awful. Um, but yeah, he's definitely not on the recordings, thankfully. But um, checking next time, maybe I reckon he was thankful for it. He probably don't want to. Probably not. He probably knows it's not his not his area of expertise, is it? Jack and Jamie, you know, like on um, I can't remember which Oasis album it is. It's one of the post two thousand ones. But Liam wrote a song, song Songbird, which is actually quite a good little song. But, but, right, but yeah. Liam Liam sing Liam wrote it and he plays guitar yeah. on it as well. And do you reckon there'll be a point in the future where <laughs> Arctic's have a song? <laughs> this is one that Jamie wrote and sang. I mean, it would be similar to Songbird, I would say, if he did. In that 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 suddenly 
It's a very simple song, is what I'll say about the song. Red Light. I don't mind it. The song, song that only Liam Gallagher could write. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is why I'm imagining his solo stuff now. He probably has about three or four writers in the room, if we're, yeah. if we're being honest. But um, yeah, yeah. Oh, does he? Yeah. Um, One of them's uh, Drew from Baby Shambles. That, that's what's holding back the Baby Shambles reunion. The fact that he's he's the only like original Baby Shambles member aside from Pete, who's still in the band, and now Liam Gallagher's got him, and he's like doing all his writing and shit like that. It's just like, can you can you get him? Sooner Liam Gallagher's voice goes, the better. Or sooner he scuttles off to go and join <laughs> Oasis again. The thing he's been out this week, hasn't he, in the press saying that he thinks they should do a reunion? What's he called? I don't know. Is it what's, Ed, or is what's... it the other one? Uh, probably Bonehead, yeah. He's he's always yeah. Is it I don't know what's more interminable, the the constant clamour for a reunion or the constant teasing of a reunion. They both annoy mm. me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think <laughs> Liam will, Liam Faith and the Cortinas is like, please don't get together? We want to keep our audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if they do a full tour, they'll be fucked for two years. They'll be a full tour yeah, in Alabama, yeah. won't they? Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, so um, this song is slightly metaphorical and fantastical. I wanted to ask you before we delved into it, which is a feature that we'll be doing more and more as time goes by, but what have you always gathered this song to be about? Originally... I, I just thought it was sexual shenanigans. But then about six or seven years ago, I picked up this album again, and I think it's Andy leaving. What? I was not I was never expecting that. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, so you think uh, there's two songs on this album about Andy leaving then? Yes. Um, <laughs> so the protagonist is trying to navigate his way through a difficult situation but can't work out the best way to do it. Knows what he wants to say too scared to voice said thoughts uh and in the chorus it implies that the protagonist is his own his own favorite worst nightmare he's been stuck in a cycle of guilt and fear yes i that that is also what genius similar to what genius think about when i had a brief look now i completely disagree and i think it well i think it's i still think it's probably sexual shenanigans it's it's we're, we're getting double meanings now it's happening what Alex said in an interview, these for dangerous is like a fantasy of having done the deed and you need to escape the surrounding you've been led to, but it's more just a fantasy about it, knowing you haven't actually done it. Sleep of the Lights Come On Volume 2. Well, it's more because Sleep of the Lights Come On is about reflecting on how you shouldn't have done it because you've ruined it. I think this is more you've had a one night stand and then you want to leave straight away. It's a different, like, Live Arts one is a bit more romantic in the sense that you wish you hadn't ruined a potential relationship by shagging too early. Whereas this is just about having a one night stand and then wanting to get the hell out of there as quickly as possible because you, hmm. you just like, you know, ugh, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, I wasn't expecting you to say that. I, I, I thought I thought you'd be, you know, we might be slightly different in that you with it, but I was never expecting you to say you thought it was about Andy. It's going to be a fascinating now. This is amped up a... <laughs> it's got off again. It's something, it's something that hadn't really hit me until a few years back. And then when I listened back to the album just before lockdown, and I was listening back to the album and then just read, reading some people's thoughts on Reddit and stuff like that. And I started to come round to, to a lot. A lot of it would 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 fit that. But like like you said, if, if Alex had said otherwise, then 
my opinion, I mean, my opinion doesn't matter anyway. The cow's opinion. Well, I mean, I'm always of the opinion that the artist isn't always necessarily even right about their own art or even truthful about it in some instances. Mm. But um, I would say that I understand why people would think that because some of the lyrics about escaping, much like another track on this album, that is about 100% about Andy Levy. Yes. Um, it's about, but I would also suggest that some of the lines would be an odd way to describe um, that particular scenario. But let's 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 have a look. Let's go for it. Um, I've always loved the fact that it's. I've always had the same interpretation of it, which is that one. Um, I've always loved about how it's about something as simple as wanting to get away from somebody you've slept with, but not knowing how to maneuver yourself out of that situation but then he puts it in like an almost like a 1984 dystopian setting or something is how i've always seen it he puts it in this fun like he said fantastical like this fantastical escape that you have to get away from using that as like a metaphor for um you know for, well, for example he knew what he wanted to say but he didn't know how to word it the dirty little herbert was seeking an escape but the place was well guarded like the place was well guarded as a metaphor for her presence almost expecting mm. you to stay as putting it like the first world guard. And I've always liked that as a line. Um, so I know how you could obviously equate that to Andy. You knew what he wanted to say, but he didn't know how to word it. How it well, dirty the, little dirty herb, herb, a bit of an odd line. That. Yeah, it wouldn't be given, given that this the split was kind of tinged with awkwardness on all sides by the sound of yeah. it. Yeah. about it since then, they're not going to go calling him a dirty, dirty little Herbert. Well, Herbert is, for anyone that doesn't know the slang of that, if he wasn't from the UK, perhaps, who's just in, in, inferred what it means from the way he like sings dirty it. Dirty Well, Herbert, yeah, it's a mild form of abuse, meaning a silly or dim-witted person. The origin of this term seems to be that it was derived from the name Herbert, which meant bright. It was used in the very direct opposite to mean dumb. Um, but he uses it more cheekily than that, like it is yeah. in a sexual way, isn't it? Very similar to kind of like sexy little swine, isn't it? Actually, exactly. That that's same, exactly like, what I've sexy got little swine. Yeah. Although dirty little Herbert is a little bit grimier, I'd say. In the se mm. sexy little swine is very cheeky, and dirty little Herbert's a little bit like, ooh, you're cheeky, but ooh. <laughs> dirty little Herbert is what is what you would have said in if, if like a woman was out walking, like a a hardy northern elderly woman. You know, seen mm. some shit. You know, she's lived through the war and that, and she'd see, she'd be walking along a country lane, and someone would be in his car. He's like, "Excuse me, have you got directions?" And when he moved the map away, his penis would be out, and she'd say, "Oh, get away, you dirty little Herbert!" And swat him with a <laughs> trot him with a shopping bag. It's an extreme case, but yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I was before you said that. I was going to say that it, it's very much looking back on some of the uh, shameful antics that we brought up about myself in my um, yeah. Early to mid twenties, Dirty Little Herbert would be a good way of Still describing how I was. Yeah, but then you compared it to, yeah. Well, moving away from it, like there's not going to be many more bringing up of that. I think after a certain point, I think we'll be all right. The B side of this album, in particular, I think it won't come up much. Um, I'll get a jingle ready. There might be a couple, and there's definitely a, a a B side that would bring it up. But but um, I yeah the 
it's it's i mean you've then made him made it more via sexual pervert but uh yeah it's kind of yeah, like yeah. You, you dirty little bit it's more like sexy little swines like more of a such you, you, you sexy little swine but dirty little herbert's like sort of like oh, you dirty it's kind of like the uh, step two in it you dirty old man that kind of you step dirty two, old so, man you dirty old man which is a very hip and happening young reference for the young listeners there step <laughs> yeah. two and son <laughs> fuck me <laughs> and that's not even a reference for our generation um, army next. <laughs> oh no um and then and then i like the um the guiltiness that started as soon as the other part had stopped like uh we we, we talked about this on leave for the lights briefly but for anyone that wasn't sort of hasn't bothered doesn't want to listen to that or whatever um it's and again showing that the, the lyrics in this are very much first album ask actually isn't it because we even said we were done with all that but no um in fact in fact it's interesting that we said that it, it's simple but it sounds more progressed this is lyrically this about the same stuff but does sound more progressed because he's putting it in this different way um so there is some progression there but but yeah you know that thing of yeah um it is a, a sadly a, a real thing that a lot of the time men will seduce a woman and then have sex with her and it's literally there you could literally like if it was a video you could freeze frame it at the point when he uh finishes and then immediately wants to get the fuck out of there and i i hate to say it but that is a thing (laughs) that is a genuine i know you've you'd like to stay around and have food and i've got all the smoke weed but i've had it at least i'd say 70 to 80 percent of my experiences i've immediately wanted to leave straight after <laughs> and it is a thing that i've spoke to other guys about as well so it is it is a horrible i'm not condoning it in any way it's horrible but it is definitely there is suddenly a need to escape <laughs> from that situation because you realize that you didn't actually like the person and you were sadly just using them to your own ends which isn't very nice i'm sure there's women that i'm sure there's women that do that too though yeah equal and all that. we're an equal opportunity lay on, a, lay on her own having to remove the ball gag herself Oh, I'm under no, I'm under no illusions that it's also seventy to eighty percent of the people that I've sort of have regretted it the minute that I finished as well. So yeah, I did. <laughs> it's, it's definitely both ends. I'm not saying it's all one-sided, but, but yeah, it's a thing where you just well both ends. Um, but you do want to um, seventy-eight percent weren't both ends. I can tell you that we'd we yeah, you just kind of want to get out of there, and I think that's what he's talking about that. Um, that because i can definitely relate to this and in, in, in just like how oh, god how am i going to get out because you can't just leave obviously you need to uh, have some respect but you do yeah. need you get make your excuses and get out of there as quickly as possible um you call some time we're looking for your sock yeah 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 or if it's it's worse if you're at your, your place and you're like oh i've got to go out in an hour so uh <laughs> i've got to go out in three weeks can you pick up <laughs> yeah yeah i'll call you yeah that thing yeah oh god it's horrible um <laughs> glad i don't take part in those shenanigans anymore yeah. but but uh yeah it's it's i do kind of relate to it in that way and i'm sure many men listen to it you're a different breed nick you sort of tr- you're trying to paint yourself as a better breed almost but i know you scum no, no. <laughs> just uh just the usual isn't it we're just normal men what do you mean, normal men? We're just innocent men. <laughs> just yep, normal men. Dan. That's, normal that's men. the protagonist of this song, certainly. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
uh, obviously then you've got the what you call the chorus. The D is for delightful and try and keep your trousers on. I think you should know you're his favourite worst nightmare. So initially, I think that first couple of lines, it's like a kind of um, when you do it and then you want to leave. It's almost like a don't do the crime if you're not going to do the time type sentiment there. Like, look, if you're not going to be wanting to hang around with this person after you've used them for your own sexual ends, then keep your trousers on and don't do it. It's not very nice. Do you know what I mean? I think that's kind of what... Uh, there was a bit in that interview, actually, when I was watching it before the bit that we played where Alex is talking about... Um, I think he's talking about this one, and it's... Oh, it was another interview I saw, and he's, but he's talking about this one and how, at the time, there was a lot of this going on with them because there was obviously, you know, they were probably all getting a lot of sex being this hot band attention. they're all they're all single at the time and attention and that yeah so i think this is directly related to probably a lot of uh experiences that they had where they might slept with someone after a gig and, and wanted to get well, the hell out of there rocking. well yeah especially if all of them are on there bloody hell reckon. do you reckon there was ever a night where the three of them were shagging away in the bunk beds and andy was just sat watching uh tv on the <laughs> in the living area did he keep it down just Andy passive aggressively like turning the volume up. That's why Andy really wanted to leave. He was like, I can't I can't cope with going across America with this. <laughs> I was shagging. <laughs> yeah. like fucking nah, zoo animals. I'm sure he got his fair share. He was in still a bit bad people women always love bass players. That's a famous thing, mm-hmm. isn't it? They do love the bass player, so yeah. You want to slap at a bass player. Told me. <laughs> um I've got a little bonus round for you, mate, while we're on the lyrics. You've you've just hit on the exact lyric that's prompted the bonus round. So that, cool, that sound can only mean one thing. That sound means it's the end of the round. Time for the bonus question. Is it should should I? Is it something to do with the title of the album and the lyrics? So so should I just say before you do it then? Um, the title obviously favorite worst nightmare being in this lyric. So that is one thing, big thing about this song as well, is it does have what I would say is a cracking album title in the lyrics. And obviously it's an oxymoron, which um, is when two opposing words, opposite words are put together. So and a, a good example of a famous album title in that writ, uh, would be definitely maybe would be an example of probably the most famous oxymoron-esque album. That's not your bonus round, is it? <laughs> I was thinking then, all right. Um, I know what your bonus round is going to be. I'm going to have to get my thinking cap on. Take my batteries out, my mysticism, and put my thinking cap on. <laughs> Do you really know what a bonus round is going to be? So, yes, obviously. Explain, we should explain more about the title, I think. Oh, sorry, mate. You, oh, you but I, I did, what I would guess this bonus round is going to be, and I could be wrong, but I would guess that it's going to be um, songs that feature the album titles in the song. <laughs> and anyway, you're going to... Ron Howard going, that's the name of the show. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, but definitely, yeah, sorry, definitely maybe. Um, but what I like is in the song, it's to call her his favourite worst nightmare. So again, so true as well when you're in that situation, like she's his favourite worst nightmare. She's she He loves to have sex, but then he wants to, to leave when it's over because he doesn't really like, like her. So um, yeah, that kind of use, favourite worst nightmare, what a great line to describe it. But also... I would say as the album title, that line is used in the same way, but I've always seen it as more as a, a, a meditation on fame and success, though. Like, it's your favourite worst nightmare. It's, it's kind of a be careful what you wish for type line. I've always seen it as, like, it's it's everything you want. It's everything I want, 
but it's also got its drawbacks and it's my worst nightmare, but it's my favorite worst nightmare, you know, because it's fame, success, money, being in a band, everything you want, but then you've got all the negative stuff that they talk about on this album, particularly in the second half, along with it as well. And perhaps it was very much Andy's favorite worst nightmare. Or maybe he's not. Maybe he's just his worst nightmare, actually. (laughs) 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 Favorite of that. Um, but yeah, yeah, so yeah, that it does have that in the song, it does have the title, uh, what is a cracking title of an album, I would say, very Arctic Monkeys as well, as a title, it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's the perfect, you can obviously say it's the perfect thing for them to call the second album. Um, are you like me, a big fan of when an album is announced and then you look at the track listing and the album title and you see that there's no song by that name? I do get a little surge of excitement. I'll think, well, that that means that'll be somewhere in that'll be somewhere in there, most likely. I'll be, and I'll get to find yeah, it. as a lyric, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, because usually, yeah, unless it's obviously Neva, but um, cause like like the Arctic Monkeys' first album, for example, um, Neva or Arctic Monkeys' third album, Arctic Monkeys' fifth album. Arctic Monkeys. No, that's it. That's the only other time. Six, six and seven. seven title definitely track, in there. The title tracks, yeah. So yeah. Um they but yeah, so they don't they, there was a few there where they did do it, I suppose. Unless it's Humbug in the no Humbug doesn't get said at any point, does it? In no. No. You'd no. think you'd think it would do. You'd think they'd have got it into Crying Lightning, but they didn't. Although weirdly, three and four have similar t- titles that lead on from one another. They almost mean the same thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which we'll get to. Um, but yeah, so go on then. Give me your, you might want to play the jingle again because the, the interlude period there. That sound means it's the end of the round. Time for the bonus question. So while we're on the subject of album titles that come from a song on the album, so now two of there's two albums I've got in mind. They are two of the biggest selling albums of all time and two of the most critically acclaimed albums of all time. And they they have both followed this theme. They're, they're, the name of the album is taken from a lyric in one of the songs. I would like you to tell me the two albums, please. One Genuinely, is... two of the biggest albums of all time. Of all time? Yeah, one's 90s, one's 70s. What's the story, Morning Glory? That's a song. That's a song on the album. Oh, so sorry, it's a lyric. Sorry, it's a lyric. So in that case, it's both, obviously. Um, so, so it's just that the title is in the album as a lyric at some point. And one's nineties. So we'll go with the nineties one first. Biggest album. So it's one of the biggest albums of the nineties then as well. If it's one of the biggest nineties of all time, um, well, it's not. It's not OK Computer because I think I'd know. Can't remember them saying that in the. Um, it's not. It's not an Oasis album. No. Oh. In fact, it's yeah. just one album. Having having looked, it's just, it's it's just one album that I can think of. So scrap scrap the seventies one. It's just the nineties one. I've, what I've did you think the seven? What did you think the seventies one was? I made a massive error with the seventies one because based on the version of it I've listened to. It was a Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, but there is a track ah. called Dark Side of the Moon on it. I'm used to the live version that I listened to where that wasn't on it, but so forget mm. that. It's just a, just a 90s one. One of the biggest albums of all time. Like the, the move, oh. the, the, the album for a whole subculture and movement. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's um, Nirvana. Um, 
I'm trying to think which track it is that's got the lyric in it now. No, I can't. I can't think what what track it is. It's never mind which features in Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yes, it does feature in Teen Spirit. Like, smells Like Teen Spirit, yeah. doesn't it? I knew it was Never Mind, but I couldn't think which track yeah. it would be. Mm. Yeah, probably, probably the second biggest subculture album of the nineties. I'd say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I think yeah. first. Okay, computer. You got to give Okay, computer yeah. to it. I think because yeah. it's most people regard it as the best album of all time. So, um, yeah, I would say they kind of fit Nirvana and Radiohead similar. I'd say, God, probably if you're a Nirvana fan and you're a you're a kind of um, Smashing Pumpkins fan and stuff like that, you're probably a Radiohead fan as well. Up, yeah. Up until yeah, unless you until you, maybe you didn't like the change for Kid A and that, but up in the nineties, certainly, I'd say you were probably a Radiohead fan. Um, yeah. Fun fact. Oh, fun yeah. fact. It smells like Teen Spirit. Uh, Kurt Cobain wanted to write something that sounded like Pixies, and that's what happened. Yeah. Probably his most hated song. Do you reckon that's the one? Because that, that's the cool thing to do. Like Radiohead are fans of Creep. Do you reckon? Lots of monkeys fans. Maybe. <laughs> maybe maybe that's song. what convinced Kurt to end it all. Maybe he's just like, oh, I fucking hate this song. <laughs> so, he was great. Someone should have told him. Um, I'd. Um... <laughs> I'd I'd say uh, yeah, I, I hate it because it when it's your favorite band and that's just, it's like the same way that we don't really hate dance floor. But I hate the fact that that's the only song if you ask for an Ice Monkey song that someone will play yeah. because it's like you know that's not the epitome of their career. <laughs> so you know because yeah. when you when you're a fan of something you love it so much you want people to recognize the other stuff that they've done. So if they're just trotting out that famous song every time it begins to create on you and annoy you. And that's why bands turn on those tracks normally as well, because it annoys them that the only song that's getting airplay is a song that was a hit. It's kind of that weird thing where the biggest, uh, the thing that made you a success is the thing that you go to hate because you can't get out of its shadow. Like kind of like, like uh, Rod Hull and Emu, another reference for the young hip kids. (laughs) 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 <laughs> or Coogan and Partridge for a while until they brought it back. I know yeah, I'm firing out the old 70s references tonight. Oh. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm sure there probably there must be loads of albums though, right? That do that. But it's hard again, it's one of those things that it's hard to do because it's not it's very ungoogleable. Surely that yeah, can be the only I'll, album that's ever done. Believe me, I spent half the uh Elvis Costello's album My Aim is True comes from a lyric in the track Allison. Awesome. But you've not got any like big, you know, albums that you because obviously you, you knew I wouldn't think of that as one. The uh, the the girls allowed album. What will the neighbors say? That's a lyric from Love Machine. Move on. Um, what? <laughs> oh, um, well, the biggest big, biggest one, a big album. Um, Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. That is a oh. lyric from a track on that album. That's also one of the biggest albums. Of the 90s? It is. Yeah, very good album, actually. I, I never really appreciated it when I was a kid, but yeah, very good having listened to it recently. Very 90s as well, though. Like, there's there's it's, no yes, illusion that if you ever listen to it, that you go, yeah, that was made in the 90s. <laughs> it's just sound like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, also, fair, I think yeah. a good appreciation to it isn't there a series of the trip when they're in Italy where they're listening to that because it's the only CD in the car as they go around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I might watch the trip. It's on BritBox. I might give the trip a go. You know, I've been watching this week. I don't know how you're going to feel about this. I decided to give How I Met Your Mother a go because it's not been on my radar of sitcoms. And after how disastrous my foray with um, 
the one about the nerds. Um, yeah, big was, that was awful, the well written, but you know what? But I quite like Jason um, Fingy, so I thought, you know, what, I'll give this a go. Um, what's his name, Jason well, Siegel? Siegel, you know what? It's charmed me at first. I was like, mm. yeah, but I kept watching and I, I've got into the story actually. I quite oh, like it. it it's, it's somewhere in between, it's no way near as bad as Big Bang Fairy in terms of writing. And I mean, nothing more- is. It's nowhere near as good as Friends in terms of a sitcom, but it sits nicely in the middle. I don't hate me. You know what I'm like for only wanting to watch stuff that's good and, and being irritated by stuff. So for me to stick with it means that there must be something decent about it because I'd normally be yeah. straight out. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be rushing it. to watch it, but if, if you're, if you're, I'm not suggesting you to watch it. I'm just saying um, I'm quite enjoying it as a little What's it on? thing is it, is to it catch on the Netflix? up. It. Uh, Disney Plus, I've been watching it on. It might be on Netflix, yeah. but I, I've clicked it on Disney Plus. Um, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to see because it's, it's. I hate to have gaps in my pop culture knowledge stuff unless I really watch it and hate it and despise it. Then I know I was right, but I need to at least assess it to decide whether I was right or wrong. But this isn't like bad writing, like Big Bang Theory. This is decent, not in any way near Friends level writing, but you know, it's somewhere, somewhere in between. You know, um, I, yeah. I, I can now, um, I can now provide you with some some big, some fairly big albums that. That have followed the same theme. So that's good, oh, isn't go it? Um, right. So we have got for starters, Radiohead two plus two equals five. Oh yeah. It features the line "All hail, all hail to the all hail thief. to the thief." Yeah, my favorite. Uh, yeah. Sad note, my favorite Radiohead album, "Hail to the Thief." I like "Hail to the Thief." I think I think that's up there for me. Uh, we've also got um, everyone's favorite Radiohead tribute band, Muse, with us. Yeah. Starlight. It's an insult to Radiohead tribute bands. Our, to be black holes and revelations. <laughs> um, Close yeah. to me by The Cure features the line "Head on the Door," which is the name of that album. And in terms of the big, big ones, uh, "Grounds for Divorce" by mm. Elbow features the seldom seen kid, which is the name of that album. And number one in this list is "Has It Come to This" by The Streets, which features the line "Original Pirate Material." Listen to the streets, lock down your aerial. Love that album. Oh. I'll be looking down my aerial so it can't pick them up. That's what I'll be doing. Um, sure, leave yeah. the streets alone. <laughs> I don't even know, just, just, just become a thing now because someone complained about it. So I just, just, I'm uh, sure just don't it and drinks. Leave it out. Uh, the fact that you always use that as well when you're trying to sell me. It's just it. funny, <laughs> though, isn't it? But that's, that's, that's down there as like one of the worst. Li- that's, that's there with the Kaiser Chiefs crisp lyric that is. I stopped sharking a minute to get chips and drinks. Yes, it is. It's one of the worst. Uh, and it's also, I've told you, that's my second least favourite lyric ever is um, Stereophonics with the... Um, uh... <laughs> I'm time. I think it was June. June. Yeah, I think it was June. Yeah, I think it was June. Like, what? <laughs> we, we don't need your internal monologue, I'm time, I think it, In the conversation. Yeah, sometimes I think it was June. Yeah, I think it was June. Like, it's so conversational. It's weird. Um, <laughs> but anyway, back to this... Um... Back to this track. Got some proper lyrics. Some proper lyrics, yeah. Some, some even even in a song that you could consider not as good as some of the others, the lyrics are still pretty good. That's that's what Alex always brings to the table. You're always going to get some deep. You're never going to get bad lyrics and go, oh God, what's he done there? Um, but but yeah, it's. Yeah, I really like that it has that. Um, I think that has always been the standout of this album is that it has the 
the album title in it a little bit. Um, and then there's the line, D is for desperately trying to simulate what it was that was all right three quarters of an hour ago that had led him... Ah, so interesting stuff about this, but that had led him to be in a position in every compromission and every other episode. So the first part... Well, I again, have it as on the brink of a mission, on the brink of an episode. So I had it a compromission. There is, there is different. Um, yeah. th this was the one that comes up. These are the lyrics that come up when you, when I googled the lyrics, and it comes up with the actual track. Mm. Um, so I'd have to double check what the official ones are on Spotify or something. But <coughs> um, the, but there's a different one. So, well, actually, so I actually heard it as something completely else in the old days. Um, years ago, I used to uh, think he said. That had led him to be in a position and every covert mission and another covert episode, which made sense well, I with the lyrics. It because I used to really annoy me a bit that he was getting away with saying covert in the way that he did, because he says covert. Yeah. It was, he says covert, another covert, and I thought, is that the way they say it in Sheffield? Because that's really annoying. I was like, how's he getting away with that? It'd be every covert mission, every other, every covert episode. But apparently, it is. Um, Compromission. We'll double check. I'll double check now. But because I've never heard that word before, but it's the noun version of compromise, another compromission, which makes sense again. Oh well, if it is, that's fucking cool. That is. That is cool because I'd never heard that word before until until I looked into the lyrics of this. Um, let's have a look. Scroll down. Every every compromission is on Spotify, so I would assume that led him to be in a position right. in every compromission and every other episode. So if it's on Spotify, I would assume that's come directly from the um yeah. sleeve, yeah. Um so again the first part of that, the it, it, it's, it's 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 so true that it was all right three quarters of an hour ago that it was all right to do this when you were horny 45 minutes ago. But now that you've finished, which is funny that that's the time frame for it as well, probably more accurate than you'd like to admit. Um, but now that you've finished, it's suddenly a problem. Like, and every time you do it, it leads you into similar situations. But yeah, what a great word, compromission to slip in there. Compromission. I'm going to be using every other episode. Every, yeah, every, let it. So, yeah, the noun of, of compromise, which I never knew existed. Until then, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because I did used to really think it was covert for years. I haven't. That wasn't until like today that I thought that. I found out ages ago it wasn't that. But but I did used to think it was covert. Uh, but he said covert, and then I was like, mm, not sure how I feel about you saying covert. Like, is he doing it just to make it work in the song and get away with it? Because that's annoying. It turns out but, it was all all right. The reason we can't hear it is it's a word that we didn't know existed. And in his accent, if it's a word that you actually don't, it's actually a taste of what we always say. Like it must be a taste of what it's like to be foreign, listen to it, and not quite get what he's saying because you don't know those words. So you, you, it's even harder to figure out what he's saying. Um, we don't know that word, and we heard something completely different. So there you go. But I like it. When I had we that word attached to. I had that word attached to someone in no one's face. <laughs> <laughs> got in with you even though um the every compromission yeah yeah i do like that word but it's always nice when we find out a different lyric that it was and it's all better and he's using another that's kind of up there i think with totalitarian is a little word that yeah. he's used there that you don't normally hear so, oh, right, yeah. And, uh, yeah. You, yeah. you are the best yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you are the best well done yeah we <laughs> apologize <laughs> um <laughs> 
He's uh, and then he says he's nearing the brink, but he thinks first the parallel universe perhaps could be the perfect scene. It's a cool line, isn't it? That nearing the brink. This adds to that kind of fantastical dystopian world, I'd say, with kind of using the word brink and parallel universes and stuff. So it's like he's nearing giving up his escape, but like realizes he can go into a parallel universe where this didn't happen and this would be perfect. Nothing do. Which is obviously entirely fantastical and basically a really inventive way of saying, I regret this and wish I could be anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah but what, a, what a genius way to, to put it instead. Yeah. Oh, and very on brand now, ahead of its yeah. time. Parallel Universe and stuff, very on brand at yes. the moment, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Very, very, very tranquility as well. The, the idea of a parallel universe. Yeah, very sci fi before, before we went full sci fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah full <laughs> By the way, speaking of the uh, to how about to Teddy Pick this week, I saw a trailer before for um, a new Wes Anderson film, which looks excellent. It's got everyone in it, Steve Carell, everyone's Nothing in it. Um, about a, a meteor, a town where meteors hit regularly, or something like that. And um, it said it said uh, directed a story by Wes Anderson and Roman Coppola, so they're still buzzing right, about okay. together, working together. So there you go, the Teddy Picker director. Um, so yeah, but you know, those genius lyrics, like it's weird because I was gonna say how ridiculous <laughs> those lyrics were, but you see, it's funny because you've 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 put it as it possibly being about Andy as an interpretation of yours, which is completely valid because um, art is subjective, but theirs was like they thought the song was about your girlfriend being like this and wanting to get away from it, which I thought was an odd take from it. I don't think that comes across at all in any way for me that it could be about a, a girl that you're actually with. I think it's very clearly about a sexual encounter rather than a it's relationship. Rather than a relationship, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you would ever think it's about like a girl that you just want to get out of that relationship with. I don't think. I don't hear no, that. No, I, anyway. I, I, I'm not saying that at all. Isn't, isn't it funny that although Herbert, Dear Little Herbert isn't a phrase that we would have ever really heard because we'd heard like someone being, oh, you little swine, and he just adds the sexy, but I've never heard anyone going, oh, you dirty little Herbert or something before. But instantly not. knew, not really, but I instantly knew from the way he says it in the song that it meant some kind of dirty sexual, like your little dirty cheeky, you've had a little one night stand, you little dirty bugger. You know, that that's just how I inferred it without knowing really what it was. Like I'd heard Herbert, but I'd always used Herbert, used as like, he's a bit of a Herbert, a bit of an oddball. You know, I hadn't really used yeah, well, it. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, hadn't, not as like a sexual thing. But it's interesting. Do you, do you not think uh, Dirty Little Herbert would fit so nicely into fluorescent adolescence somewhere? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that, yeah, that is about similar, well, you know, nostalgic look at your sexual past, which... When that'll we get be a song where my past will come up again i feel <laughs> 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 as i'm trading in my uh everything for a mechadoma um i always wonder i can't wait to get to that episode. we won't talk about it now but i'll just bring it up i can't wait to I, I wonder what foreign listeners think of what a mechadoma is I'd love to hear yeah. some interpretations of that. <laughs> what that line means, yeah. if you don't know. I mean, so obviously, we, we live in a Googleable world now, but like maybe when it first came out, at least you couldn't readily find stuff out as easily, perhaps. But, but like, if Becca Dobber, like, it's like that, yeah, that is proper British, maybe even Northern, more like yeah, working class, isn't it? It's not like, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean it's, it's, pretty, it's, it's a pretty obscure now, though, anyway. 
It's quite an obscure yeah. reference, and, they've made, and then they've willfully made it even more this obscure. Specific brand reference as well, yeah. yeah. You got paid for that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, off the neck of lads. Well, it's not worked out well for them, has it? <laughs> no, it's not. Um, there used to be one at Password. Didn't um, yeah, yeah, I, I think the lyrics in this are, again, it's weird, they're simple but also kind of clever, so it gets away with it, much like the actual song itself. The lyrics are perfect for the song because they're very first album-esque, but just a little bit better, so they get away with slipping it in there, I'd say. And and ooh, and just as um, metaphorical as the last one in many ways. And the next one is another metaphorical song. We won't get into that just yet, what we are interpreting. I mean, I'm blowing my mind now about what what interpretations we're going to have when we get to more beefy ones because I was never expecting you in a million years to turn around. It was never on my radar if he'd say this is about Andy. I never no, would have. No, uh, I, how do you I, feel about that now? Like, now I haven't taken you to task in any of the lines because a lot of the song you could interpret that way. I could I could put that to it. I think Dirty Little Herbert's the only thing that perhaps could dissuade you and the Favourite Worst Nightmare um, bit, the chorus, I think, and Keep Your Trousers On. I think they, they're the lines that kind of take that possibility away. But for big chunks of the verses, I'd say you, you fairy would hold up. Well, I it, see it. It's never like I've been like wed, like glued to that theory or anything like that. But it's just, yeah, I've always kept an open mind with it. I was just never expecting to say that. It was, it was a bit like when, when um, they asked Carl Perkinson his, his pet hates and he says when it's shitting around the house and Ricky's like, I was never expecting you to say that because he thinks pet hates means annoyances yeah. that annoying things that pets do. that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just never expecting those words to come out of your mouth for, for this track anyway. Um, I think you'd be laying it on a bit thick for there to be two tracks about some Andy wanting to escape well, the band. <laughs> wait, wait till you find out that I don't think Old Yellow Bricks is about Andy. And now nah, I'm only messing. That's yeah, okay. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for an album that's 16 years old. Um, I'd, uh, everyone almost here knows that that's what that song about, I would say. Unless you don't, then you're going to be in for a treat of an episode. Um, yeah, I'll say. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's. Um, uh, I don't think there's going to be many more on this album where we you'll say anything. Well, I don't know now where you'll say anything out there. We'll see. That, won't we? We'll see. I don't think that. We'll I don't think that was quite out there. There's there's large elements of the lyrics that could. It, out there in the sense that yeah, I, I'd say I'm a hundred percent certain that it's not about that. Just because of some mm. of the lines in there, less and less. Andy was a keen shagger of the band or something. But uh leave that to hang. <laughs> yeah, but uh much like Andy did. Um I'd but I wouldn't um I wouldn't I, I've not like argued against it because I could see why one would think it in if you take lines individually and, and put them uh, yeah, you could say it's about escape because the song at its core is about escaping something. So it's, uh, and Andy was keen to escape the band, but but Old Yellow Brexit is about escaping something as well. But that is about Andy escaping the band, I'd say. So yeah, similar similar um, similar themes on it's, this, about yeah. similar themes on this album, perhaps from escaping fame and stuff like that, and the the things that you get from fame. So um, yeah, maybe that's why. But I was just ne- what I mean is I was just never it's so out there because I was never expecting that to come out of your mouth. Like I never even thought of that possibility that you would say that. You took me by surprise. I thought at best you might say I thought you might say like I thought oh you might say he thinks it's about a relationship rather than a one night stand. And I thought that'd be about as 
different as it might get. And then, yeah, you feel that one out. Although I'm intrigued. I'm, we won't say it yet, but I am intrigued by what you think next week's song is about. And I'm wondering okay. if we're on the same page with that. Which see you next will, week, yeah. We'll see you next week, yeah. You will. Should we do our um, favourite lyrics of the... Uh... Uh, new jingle. Oh, we didn't get to do ghost cookies this week, did we? But we did get a bonus round, so there is that. Yes, that's true. Let's do our favourite lyrics then. Too busy with the mind on clever lines. Um, I think it has to be for me. Uh, I think you should know you're his favourite worst nightmare because it's probably the best line in the song, and it's they used it for the title of the album. So, yes, yeah. same. Although. Honourable mention for compromission now. Oh, yes, that is true. Now, that was in my notes already. But now that we've... Yeah, that's a word that we never... um, I should read... We should read just to check, because I'm assuming... I looked up and it said the noun of compromise. So, um, we'll just look it up now. It's not even a word. Uh, Oh, wow. According to this... Yes, yeah, yeah. This was a bad idea looking this up because it's changed it all. Well, delegation of a dispute to arbiters, delegation of the right to elect one or more persons, the act of or action of jeopardizing. Hmm. Oh, there we go. Jeopardizing agreement as well. So, yes, but also the act of jeopardizing one's morals or ethical principles would would apply as well in terms of you using someone for sex and then wanting to bin them off straight away would. Right, to discard case, them set we'll away would, then, would also be that so we'll yeah actually actually yeah. even better actually now i mean at first it says something about delegation a dispute to arbiters that you which means you owe money to someone right so i was a bit at first like mm. but, <laughs> yeah, uh, unless he's talk, talking about a prostitute now. now is he um yeah. but <laughs> this song's actually about alex not wanting to pay a prostitute <laughs> you heard it at first um but uh yeah you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to um should we do our favorite musical moment then I love Alex's hair in that clip because it's just before he I'll goes to comb back in it. He has to mm. comb it back because it's fell forward. Oh, sexy man, sexy man. Um, <laughs> you think that's the best he ever looked? Was that Glastonbury? Because I, I love the outfit as well. It all worked. Yeah, all tailored I've, I've, got a he's gonna, I've got a feeling he's going to rival that this Glastonbury. Oh, you think? I'm a bit unsure because he's been he's been wearing, like we were saying before, like sort of charity shop put together esque look. It's probably not. It's probably very expensive clothes, but like just kind of like oversized blazers over blue jeans with a shirt tucked in. So I don't know if he, because the thing with that time, the AM and all that, it was very. Um, they were very. Uh, their look was very much part of what they were doing, wasn't it? Like that took it and see AM time. So, so I feel like he really wanted to look his best at that Glastonbury, and he really did. Whereas I feel like this time it'll be more like just go out there and do what we do, lads. I don't know. And maybe he will because it's Glastonbury. Maybe he'll come out in a tux. Oh, imagine if, he, if he all came out in tuxes because of um, oh, it being a bit more of a crooner. Oh, and then and then he gets to Mirrorball and he does that thing that they used to do where they'd have the jacket open and the, the bow tie undone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be undone at that point. I'll be undoing okay. my trousers. I won't be keeping my trousers on. I'll be a dirty little Herbert if that happens. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what, what's your favourite musical moment of this track? Then? Mine is the bass line, simply. 
love it. Yes, I have to agree. It's it's the great baseline. It runs the whole track. Uh, shout out to the drum build up in the breakdown though. But um, yeah, you can't beat that. Can't beat that baseline. Can't beat a bit of baseline. It's uh, another nineteen seventies reference there. Full on to on for the kids. <laughs> and, and now, now it's just a generic seventies reference. There's I mean, I feel like I feel like only certain people from our generation would get those references. So the fact that anyone listening, we know we've got listeners in other countries as well that are a lot younger than us, so they're going to be lost here. So if you want to Google all those references, feel free, but don't waste your time should, too much watching Steptoe and Son. And to do a list every episode, <laughs> like a, a little pricey of all the uh, all, all, all the, and the opposite of a zeitgeist tape. Yeah, yeah. It's actually just showing all the the references you don't need to know, yeah. Um, (laughs) Bit of a bullseye, Steptoe and Son, and there was another one somewhere that I did tonight, which was an old fucking reference as well. I can't what it was now. Um, But yeah, yeah. I I think, yeah, this track is a... It's a simple one. It's a first album-esque, but a bit better. But it's also... it, It vibes. It's fun. It's cool to listen to. I love listening to it. I never skip it. it. Is, I never go, it oh, I don't want to listen to that's it. A, that's the main thing. It is a fun little tune. It's a fun little tune. I love how they're singing in it, and it's got some good lyrics, some accurate lyrics. Um, and the album title in it is the best lyric. So, yeah. Yeah. What else? All, all beautiful. Yeah. What, what, could you ask? what could you ask for? I mean, there's plenty I could ask for, but it's not relevant here. It's it's, it's not relevant to the band or to what we're talking about. Well, that <laughs> just about wraps well, up. On that, would you trade a week's worth of sex or certain romance being played when we're at the cricket club in a few weeks? Well, we'll listen to this, it will have passed, but for us now, it's let a few me, weeks away. Let me have the sex first, and then we'll uh, we'll talk. That wasn't a come on. What do you mean? You want me to have sex with you for a week and then we'll talk about something? Let let me let me let me have it. (laughs) I mean, I'd 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 be more. You can't have both. That's the whole point of the. You can't do that. Someone can't offer you this or that at gunpoint, and then you go, "Well, let me try that first. And if I don't like it, I'll do the other one." That's the exact opposite of the scenario. See how I feel after the fish cakes. It's off the table. If you have the sex, they're not going to play a certain romance 100 percent at the cricket club. But they were going to. But because you chose the sex, they're not now going to do it. It was, well, the it, was the, it was on the sheet, but they t- just cross it out and do "Are you mine?" instead. If they, play, if they play certain romance at the gig, that might lead to sex. The, the renewed state, the heightened state of euphoria, I'll be in, might lead to might lead to me to just throw throwing away social convention <laughs> and, and just going, "Make love to me, somebody, <laughs> anybody." <laughs> Very much what I used to do with when Rage Against the Machine came on <laughs> in the club back in the day. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, okay, that went in weirder places than I expected it to. But yeah, okay. so there's, so there's a lot of what you've said tonight. So yeah, I guess for the hurry, full of surprises all night. Oh god. Well, yeah, yeah, full of surprises. That's not bad. Well, this just about wraps up our look at. Album two, track three, D is for Dangerous. We'll be back same time next week. But with what, Dan? Well, Nick, are you going to bother to record all the next week's podcast with me? Or will you be running off over next door's garden before the hour is done like usual? I hope you don't because it's time for yet another funky track laden with metaphorical lyrics that has an ending just as pleasurable as its start. We'll be able to boast of the day of the most flawless podcast of all time as we put on our balaclavas. I really, um, it's weird because I would say these two tracks are what you would not normally think of as the 
<sighs> the better parts of this album, but I really like listening to them though. And the ne- next week's as well, I really enjoy listening to Balaclava as a song. Like, there's just something really fun I, about it. I think I prefer Balaclava to Days for Dangerous. I think I do I prefer, prefer it. Doing, yeah. yeah. On, on contrast, I listen to it after this. Um, yeah, I'd say 100%. But there's a lot more going on with the guitars and stuff as well, obviously. And yeah, yeah and very bit more technical musically as well, almost. But but yeah, I just think they're, they're both not like up there with what you would say on the album. But they're, but I just love listening to them both, though. I would never skip them. Put it that way. Yeah, I, th- I think I think there's going to be a few. Uh, I think it's going to be tough nailing down favorite musical moment and favorite lyric for that one. It's yeah, ramping mm, up. We'll see. We'll see. Oh, excellent! Right, that's about it for this week. Then we will see you next week. Say goodbye to the nice people, Dan. Goodbye. Believe the Hype is hosted and produced weekly by Nick Lee and Dan Holt. Music used in the titles is royalty-free music courtesy of Les FM. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcast player of choice to be notified every Wednesday when a new episode is released. And if you want to help us out further, be sure to like and review to help make us more visible to like-minded souls. We'll see you next week with more of the same. More of the same. <laughs>